Good morning, church. Good to see you. I'm Steve. Glad you're here. Would you stand? We're going to be singing with joy today. God who is, we worship the God who evermore 
say hi to every last one of them right now, okay? you get all 25? We're having difficulties up here today. Hey, will you do this for me right now? <laughs> all right, stop for one second. All right, shush. All right, I got all your 25. That's good. <laughs> I have had a morning. I've had a morning and a half. And so if you would, just pray for me and pray for this church and pray for everything that's going on today. Because God, we just sang about it. He's in this place, right? He's going to do great things when we let him do that. If we don't expect him to do great things, he probably won't. This is when it comes down to the faith that we have in him. We expect him to do great things. And I want you to be able to say, God, I know you're going to do great things, okay? Say it in your life. Say it for today. Let that be what you, you sing about with all the faith that you have. All right? Let's do that right now.
set the stage for us in all of creation. You lavish your grace upon us. You've given us mercy. You just show us your love in so many different ways. And it just culminates in the work of Jesus Christ. We give you praise. We love you. We want this day, our day, every day dedicated to you because you have given us and loved us so much. Amen. show this gratitude because you are wonderful and you are beautiful and you are powerful and all of these things that we offer up to you father it comes from a place where we say thank you it comes from a place where we say we cannot live this life without you thank you for teaching us what grace looks like we want to be able to give that to those that are in our life give that to the entire world we dedicate our lives all over again death could not hold you the veil tore before you, who silenced the boats of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival, you have no evil. 
incredible. We want to worship you, or we want to not worship you. We want to welcome you today to Capital City Christian Church. We're so thankful that you are here today with us. Uh, Steve, thank you for all the great worship you and your guys. A um, couple quick announcements. Jesus Prom is coming up Friday, August the 11th. Our July nudge, the shoe drive, remember that. Remember to bring in those shoes. All right, and tonight we have our pool party from 7 to 9. Now, I know some of you last year were a little concerned. Doc showed up in his Speedo. He will not be doing that this year. So if that kept you from coming, feel free to come on out. Students, we will be meeting at 6 at the park to do our time of devotion, and then we'll head on over to the pool. All right, so one, one quick thing about the pool as well. There will not be any concessions tonight, but feel free to bring food in. If you want to bring food in to share, I will gladly eat any food that you bring. All right? As you can tell, I like to eat. All right, I'm, we're going to do something real quick. going to bring up some of our guys from our youth program. All right? Come on up here, guys. All right. All right. Y'all ready for this? Are you nervous? All right. Not nervous at all. All right. So, so we're on a sermon series called The Trail of Grace. All right? And so we've talked to them about, hey, we want you to come up here, and we're going to rate some swimming pools on functionality and beauty. Now, they have not seen these at all, all right? So we have no idea, like, what these guys are going to feel is great, all right? So we're going to start with the first picture, and you guys, all right, ooh, all right, what do we got a rating on on functionality? <laughs> hold on, what? Hold on, hold on, what? Is that John up there? Is that John? It kind of looks like John. <laughs> It's all right. It ain't got the slot. It don't got no slot. Functionality, yeah. Well, you give it a rating of one to ten. I give it a three. A three. All right. That's a ten out of ten. I ain't gonna lie. You know. I'm a little confused. I'm gonna give it a hundred because I think it's John up there. <laughs> John's got that farmer's tan going on, doesn't he? <laughs> all right. All right. What about beauty? What about beauty? I mean, I wouldn't want to swim in the forest. It got all types of trees around, so I give it one. Um, I've seen better in the basement, so I'm gonna give it a one. Honestly, the greatest house I've ever seen. Like, it's wonderful. Well, whose house do you think that might be? Oh, that's John's. <laughs> okay, good. Man, those pastor salaries are crazy these days. Uh, uh, John, can I spend a night? Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go with the next one. Ooh, oh, this is interesting. Is that Vanessa? That's Robert's wife. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Robert's wife. All right, so what do you guys rate this on a functionality one to ten? I give it a ten since it's Robert's house. I still give it a two. It's dangerous. I wouldn't be in there. <laughs> you know, since it's Robert's house, I think I'm, I'm going to say like 1.5. Oh, Robert. That hurts. I'm going to give it a five because I don't know if I'm going to slip or not, but it looks like it's from a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a huge ladder, by the way. All right, let's roll to the next one. Oh. Okay, so, so functionality, what do you got? Uh, I give it a ten. Ten, all right. I give it a five. It looks like something Moses swam in, so. So like, so like old people. It's like, it's, yeah, like more like Doc. Doc's Doc. age. It's Doc's, it's Doc's house. What's up with the ancient ruins on the side? Yeah, that's Doc House. That's Doc House. 
I'm a little scared. I think the Roman soldier's gonna come in, so. <laughs> All right, what about beauty? Uh, too many trees, once again, or plants. I don't want bugs coming in the pool with me while I'm, while I'm in my Speedo. Well, um, I'll be scared I'll see Doc with a shirt off, so I don't know if I'll... <laughs> Might see Doc in those Speedos. It'd be a bad day. Scenery, 10 out of 10, you know? 10 out of 10, all right. I just hope, why is there a camel right there? Like, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a, uh, I like it. Yeah, that's it. I like it. Did we got one more? Oh, now that's different. Functionality? That's a Steve pool. We know Steve likes his little violins or whatever. That's a Steve pool. I wouldn't say Steve. He really can't play this guitar very well. So, Hold, hold on. Who can play? Who, who can play better? Me and Tommy. That seemed like an old man Vern kind of, kind of pool. Got the little violin with it, you know? That ain't a Steve house. Steve too young. This might low-key be Brad Crib. Yeah. <laughs> what about beauty, guys? I like the coloring, but like, it's all right. It ain't better than my pool. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give it a two. I might get a little seizure in it, so. You can you can give it to John L now. That's a 10 out of 10 pool, you know, lights, color, everything. A lot of 10 out of 10s for John L. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with John L. 10 out of 10. I'm, if, if they able to play music while touching little wires, I'm cool. We, we good. <laughs> all right, all right, thank you guys. Give them a big round of applause for getting up here on stage with me. So, you know, this is kind of the crazy thing about our Lord. When we look at creation, you know, we can sit down and see it's very functional. I grew up on Elkhorn Creek as a young kid out in Pixmill. Got any Pixmill people here? No. Few, got a few. I grew up on Elkhorn Creek, and it's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And he could have just had the water just run and be what it is. But if you've ever been on Elkhorn Creek at night and seen the beauty of the, the way the sun hits and the trees reflect off the water, that's the God that we serve. He doesn't just make it functional. The God that we serve makes things beautiful. Amen? All righty. We're going to go ahead with the next thing. Depending on how old you are, 
You may remember a show from the 80s. It was called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. You guys remember that show? And it was exactly what the title of the show said it was. It was this video crew that would come through and look at how rich people lived. And the common folk would watch this show and they would dream of what it would be like to live in those kinds of contexts. And they would dream of, of all these things that they didn't even know existed before until they watched this show, right? And in the 90s, there was a companion show, one that I'm a little bit more familiar with. It was called MTV Cribs, all right? And it was a great show where they would usually deal with like musicians of the day or athletes of the day, and they'd go to their mansions, they'd check it out, and it would usually end with them like looking at just ridiculous stuff. And so they'd end up in the garage, and they would see like just this fleet of vehicles that were just out of this world, right? And I remember one that I was watching, a guy had a solid gold toilet. I don't know why. That's weird to me. All right. I, I can remember like these massive movie theaters within the home. I can remember the pools and all those kinds of setups and just the lavishness of life and the way in which they lived. It was mind blowing to see these kinds of things. Right. And the common folk, we would watch it and we would find out that there's things you can spend your money on that we didn't even know existed and the lavishness and the ways in which they would live. Now, if we did like a Cap City Cribs, <laughs> all right, I don't think we'd actually see any of those pools. I think these boys are misled. All right, but we would, we would find that it's pretty boring, not real specific, not, not real amazing when it comes to the kind of homes that we live in. I'll be honest, my, my house is not very extravagant. The most extravagant I get is whenever we go to Froyo. You guys familiar with Froyo? Frozen yogurt, is there one of those in Frankfurt? I've not been since I've moved here. I know you guys like ice cream. There's tons of ice cream places around. Let me tell you about Froyo, okay? Froyo is a frozen yogurt place. And what it is, is they trap you right when you walk in the door, okay? You go in, and they have these cups of different sizes. And you pick the cup that you think most adequately represents the amount of frozen yogurt that you would want, okay? And that's already where you start lying to yourself, all right? And you get the frozen yogurt, and then you go to the wall. There's like this, this wall of all these different flavors, and they swirl together, and you can get as many as you want, different flavors and different combinations of whatever you want. You get as much of this frozen yogurt that you could possibly want, and then you go to where it really just gets ridiculous, okay? You go to the part that has the toppings, all right? Are any of you familiar with this? I feel like this has turned into like a documentary that you guys have never seen before, all right? All right, so there's these toppings, and it's every topping that you could ever imagine, okay? Like they have a chocolate section, like different forms of chocolate, and it's cookies, and it's candy bars that are broken up, and you can put that on your frozen yogurt. And if you don't like that, you can go to the fruit section, which I know some of you health people, you're already thinking health, like fruit, frozen yogurt, it's right up your alley. It's not me. I'm looking at more like the gummy bear section of the fruit section, okay? Like the fruit flavors of things. You can get those kinds of things and put it on your frozen yogurt, right? And then after that, they have like a section of cereals. I don't know if you've ever thought about putting cereal in your ice cream before. It's a great idea. And so they, they have like this crumbled up cereal that they put onto the frozen yogurt. It's amazing. It's really, really good. And then after that, they have all these like weird things. I don't even know what to call them. I think it's stuff from like Japan. <laughs> I don't know. It's like these weird food items and they look really neat, but I promise you've never seen them in a store in your life. I don't know where they get them or where they come from, but they have them out that you can just put as much of it as you want onto your frozen yogurt. And then they have all the syrups. There's chocolates and caramels and fruit flavored things. And there's even like marshmallow like syrup, cream, something that you can put over the top of your frozen yogurt. And at the end of it, you've got like this little cup that you thought that you're going to get like two or three dollars worth of frozen yogurt. 
And then like, it's like this now, like you realize like halfway through you went and got another cup to dump it in because it wasn't enough space. And there's just pile just heaping with all these add-ons and then they make you weigh it. It's embarrassing. Like you put it in front of them on a scale and it weighs and then they tell you how much you owe them for this monstrosity of extravagance because you got carried away. All right, like, and it just builds up and you've got this massive thing and now you're spending 16 or $17 on frozen yogurt, right? That's the closest I come to extravagance, <laughs> right? And I think that's probably the same for most of us when we think about extravagant living. That's probably the tip, except I think there's a sense in which we get to experience an extravagance bigger than frozen yogurt and MTV cribs every single day. We're going through the trail of grace here, and we're, we're looking at grace specifically as it flows through the Old Testament. And what we find is, is it starts on page one. Within the creation story, we see an extravagance and a lavishness that God puts together that is absolutely mind-blowing, over-the-top, anything that we could ever dream or imagine or put together ourselves. But let's start with some questions of this as we begin, okay? Why did God create anything? When we talk about creation, why did God choose to create anything? There's a big philosophical question out there that's been debated for years. Why is there something instead of nothing? Why does things exist? Why do we exist? Why is there something instead of nothing? And then why, why did God create such seemingly unnecessary diversity? Why is it that when God created, he didn't create just simply for function or sustenance, but it seems as if he goes over the top? He just goes absolutely over the top with the things that he creates. It's the pools that we're looking at. There should have been a pool picture up there of a family of six in a little inflatable pool in the backyard, right? Because that one is just as functional as all the other pools. But it doesn't have that same beauty, does it? Why is it that when God creates, he doesn't just create for functionality, but he also creates things with beauty? Why has God filled the earth with life that's endless in variety, that's boundless in scope, that's relentless in its resilience, that's marvelous in its complexity. I mean, the reality is that God didn't have to. God is under no obligation to create. He didn't have to go to such seemingly great lengths. I've heard some people suggest that maybe he was lonely. I think that's ridiculous. There's some who suggest that maybe God is needy. He needed us. I think that's ridiculous. What was God doing? Why did he create in the way that he did? And when he created, why did he say that it was good? Do you remember the creation story on day one? God creates light. And it's kind of strange. There's nothing else really going on. I guess there's darkness or the absence of light. It's kind of strange, but he creates light and something happens. It's kind of confusing. Don't really completely understand it. But at the end of it, God looks at it and he says it's good. On day two, he he creates some sort of formless blob of some sort. It's, it's very ambiguous. It's very hard to kind of understand exactly what's going on. But we know this. We know that God speaks to this thing and he tells the waters to separate, that whatever this water blob thing is, the spirit is hovering over it and God speaks into it and says, I want the waters to separate. I want there to be waters below and then waters up above. And starts to take some shape. And at the end, God looks at it and he says, it's good. On day three, 
He, he goes down into those waters that are b- below and he speaks into them and he causes there to be dry land. He separates it out. He tells the water where it has to start and he tells the land where it begins. He causes it to rise up out of the water and he creates dry places. And then on those places, he creates vegetation, the first signs of life that he puts onto this earth. And when he creates, he creates with incredible diversity, incredible abundance. At the end, God looks at it and he says it's good. On day four, he pulls way far back out, back out into the very beginning spot where he speaks into light, and now he speaks into existence the sun and the moon and the stars. It causes me to ask the question, where was the light before this moment? It's interesting, isn't it? It's a fascinating story. So now he creates sun and moon and stars, and he tells us it's for, it's for time. But why so much? Why so much? Do you know how many stars there are? The answer to that is no. <laughs> we don't. There's some scientists who are very, very smart, and they do a lot of research, and they came up with this estimate, which to me sounds like a third grader said this. They think that there's 200 billion trillion stars. That's straight off the internet. That's not, that's not off Facebook. That's off of the internet, like the real internet. <laughs> right? They've looked out into the expanse, and based on their best guesses, they think there's 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God create in such an abundance? Why would he speak these things, and they just come flying like out of his mouth and going exactly where he wanted and designed for them to be? Why would he create such abundance and such diversity? We get by with one star just fine. Why are there so many? Why would he have created with such a diversity? It's mind-blowing, isn't it? And at the end of the day, God looks at it and he says, it's good. On day five, he goes a little bit closer and he speaks to the sky and to the waters and he creates living creatures that inhabit those spaces. You know how many many species of birds there are in this world? The answer to that is no, you don't know. Nobody knows, but I looked it up. The internet has a lot of interesting answers. But a rough estimate says that there's around 10,000 different types of birds. 10,000 different kinds of birds. That seems a bit excessive to me. I think they're all in my backyard making noise. It's too many. There's so many. Why so much diversity? Do you know how many marine species there are? The answer to that one is no. We don't know. There's an estimate that around a quarter of a million specific marine animals have been discovered, classified, named, all that kind of stuff. But scientists recognize, I mean, you understand this, right? We know more about the universe than we do about our own oceans. That's terrifying to me. And and they're estimating that we probably only know about 1% of what exists within our oceans. They say that there's potentially 25 million different marine species that exist. And I think it's true because it feels like every other week I'll see some news headline that says that they discovered some other absolutely terrifying thing in the ocean that's most likely going to kill you, right? So it is this mind-blowing. Why? Why would God create such an abundance and such a diversity, especially when we're talking about the fact that we don't even know it exists? We're just now even finding some of these things. We haven't even begun to, to, to see the full picture of what exists. Why? Would God create at that kind of a level? We don't fully know, but I know this. At the end of the day, God looks at it and he says, 
It's good. On day six, he, he speaks into that dry land place and he, he creates living species that exist in that space. The Genesis account calls them the beasts of the field. It's the things that walk along dry ground. Do you know how many species of cats there are? The answer is too many, right? <laughs> Whatever the number is. The number is actually way less than I would have expected. It's 40. There's only 40 species of cats. I still hold by my answer. I think it's too many, right? Like it's way too many cats. We don't need that many variations of the same annoying animal, do we? Right? And then ants. I hate ants. Do you know that there's 16,000 different versions of the ant? 16,000 different species. Why would God go to such great lengths to create something so diverse to annoy us in so many different ways? It's mind-blowing, isn't it? the abundance of what he's created, the diversity of what he's created. And at the end of it, God looks and he says, it's good. One, two, three, day one, two, three, four, five, six, every single day, at the end of it, God looks at it and he says, it's good. Why is it good? You ever ask that question? There's a lot of why questions today. Why is it good? Why is it that what God created, he looks at and he says it's good? I've heard lots of different answers. Maybe it's a moral thing. Maybe what God created was actually not morally neutral, but it's morally positive, okay? So it's to the good, which means that he could have also created something that would have been like morally evil. Is that what he's trying to say here when he says it's good? I don't think so. Maybe it's a word of comparison. Like on a scale of 0 to 10, you know, 0 is awful and 10 is amazingly awesome. Jesus, you know, God creates all this stuff and he looks at it and he says, eh, it's good. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Like, it's so-so. Do you think that maybe one, God, one day God was creating something and, and at the end of it he looked at it and he said, whoa, that's not good. And so like he took out an eraser and just kind of got rid of it or he just pushed it off the table into the trash bin and started over and now he's created this account that we've seen and at the end he's like, okay, this one's good. Do you think that's what he means? I don't think so. Let's look at it from a different angle. Psalm 19, verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Here's another question to go with all this. Who hears these declarations? Who hears it? When the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the skies are proclaiming the work of his hands. When creation, you'll see this throughout scripture, there's all these verses that speak to how creation is proclaiming the goodness of our God. Who's hearing these proclamations? Now, in my mind, I would have answered that with God. There have been times when I'm like walking through the forest or, or on a hike or something, I hear these, these trees that are moving in the wind and you can hear the branches kind of, kind of creaking. You can hear the leaves kind of brushing up against each other and it creates that noise. And there have been times in my own just private personal worship as I'm going through those moments where I begin celebrating a God because I'm hearing the trees praise him, so I'm going to praise with him too, right? And I hear them and, and I think to myself, it's God who hears these declarations. I hear the animals and the noises that they make and I've always wondered if they're communicating to each other or whether or not they're just shouting praises to God. And I think it must be God. It's God who's hearing these declarations. It's God who hears these proclamations of the sky and the creation that's around us, except that there's also this other verse I think is really incredible. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. 
Paul writes this to a people who didn't have the revelation of God. They just understood that there was a God. And he says this, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his invisible qualities are his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. The invisible things of God have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Who hears these declarations? It's me. And it's you. That creation is telling the story of its creator. It's revealing these things. It's shouting out these proclamations. It's revealing to us a God who is abundant and who is diverse. And we get to hear it. We get to see it. So who hears these declarations? It's us. But why is it good? Why is the creation itself good? Well, it's after, you know, after God's created everything the way that he knew it would need to be, then we read this. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. It's the end of day six. Everything else is perfectly in place, exactly where it needs to be, and then God looks and says, now it's time for man. God declares each phase of creation be, uh, as good because it was good for us. It's all for us. And if that's true, then it's grace, isn't it? See, God didn't need any of this. In fact, he could have done way, way less. It's all grace. I mean, it's just everywhere all around us. Genesis 129 says this, God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that is fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, an abundance. It's all for us. It's given directly to us. What did we do to deserve this incredible, pristine abundance? The answer to that is nothing. And we saw last week when we defined this word grace, grace just simply means getting something that you don't deserve. So as we look through the creation account, we begin seeing the things that we don't deserve. It's grace after grace after grace after grace. It's absolutely everywhere. There's more beauty in this world than any one person can fully comprehend. There's greater abundance than any one person can possibly consume. And it makes me just keep asking this question, Why? Why would God do this? And the answer is this. It's just the nature of grace, isn't it? Grace is never just enough. Let that sink in for a moment. When Jesus dies on the cross for our sins and we're saved by grace through his work on our behalf, there's never going to be a moment in history where someone else comes along and sins more than he anticipated to where his grace would be exhausted and he'd say, oh no, I didn't plan for this. I've got to go do something else. Because grace isn't just barely enough. It's always abundant. Grace is always far more than enough. It's the nature of grace. Grace is something that goes far beyond what's necessary. At the heart of all of this is a God who desires what is good for us. That in itself is a grace. The idea that God would actually want what is good for us. And again, the question I ask is why? Did he have to be that way? He just wants to. It seems like God just wants to. He just wants to create for us. He wants to give us abundance. He just wants to pour out his grace to us in every single way imaginable. 
And it's more than that. I mean, within the creation story, there's even more good. It's not just about these things around us. There's something significant that's happening even within us. After the creation of man is the creation of woman. That's a different level of, of joy unlocked there, isn't it? Brings an ability to enjoy life in its fullest expression. Why would God do this? Why would God look at man and say it isn't good for him to be alone and desire to create a woman for him? Why would he do that? It's because he wants what's good for us. He's not interested in just giving us what's necessary. He's not interested in just giving us what's functional. He's interested in giving us an endless access to extras. Everywhere around us is is examples of this, stuff like this. Have you ever noticed that we can see beauty but nothing else in creation can? Have you ever found yourself in a moment, this is like the typical Kentucky thing, and so all of you are going to say yes, okay? There's been a moment in your life when you've been sitting on the tailgate of a truck looking at a sunset, okay? Every single one of you have done this. And as you're looking at the sunset, you looked over to your dog, because you're from Kentucky, so your dog was there too, all right? And your dog was also looking at the sunset, but it didn't shed a tear, (laughs) right? No, your dog's not even sitting there. Your dog's off wandering around, sniffing around, right? Have you ever noticed that we find these scenes, these things happen that catch our attention, a beauty that overwhelms us? Have you ever been in that moment, whether it's a sunset or whether you're looking at the mountains or maybe you're out on a lake and it's just perfectly still and glassy like like a mirror and you can just see the reflection of everything in it and it just blows you away, the beauty of where it is that you're at and you're just overwhelmed. In fact, it almost feels like heavy, the weight of recognizing the beauty of something that God has created and yet you look around and there's nothing else in nature that seems to even notice You don't ever catch a deer in the woods staring at the sunset amazed. It's for us. In fact, when we do art, I mean, the most common form of art is us trying to replicate the beauty of God and the things that he's created. It's more than that. Why does food taste good? Every other creature in the world, I think, eats just because they're supposed to eat. I've never seen like a cow like pass up grass because it's going to go get the better grass, right? It doesn't, it doesn't happen. They eat because they have to eat to sustain life. We eat because we have to eat to sustain life. Why do we get to also enjoy it? Why is it that when we eat food and it glides across our tongue, we find happiness and joy in that? Why is it that each of us uniquely has our own types of food that we like and the things that just get us excited, the kind that we want to talk about? Everyone has their favorite restaurant and the place that they want to talk about, don't they? Why is it that God has gone above and beyond in beauty and these things? He's just this God of these endless extras. And so we look at Adam and we see him receive Eve and it's not an act of sustenance. God doesn't give Adam Eve because he needs sustenance. It's because he wants him to experience delight. It's a grace. It's a grace of God. And within a marriage relationship, we see friendship and romance and partnership and community. And every single one of them is a grace. God doesn't just give Adam Eve. He also gives the both of them a purpose He gives them meaning to their lives. That's something we all want. We want to have a purpose. We want to feel like our lives matter. And so God gives Adam and Eve purpose, and that's a grace in itself as well. They could have just wandered around in the the garden, clueless and unaware of why they even exist, and yet God gives them purpose. He doesn't have to do it, but he does it anyway. 
And then he gives them this command. You'll see it in Genesis chapter 1, 28. He says, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There's a guy named Preston Sprinkle who we're using his book as, as a resource doc and I for this series that we're going through. And when he looks at this verse, he rewrites it for himself. He says, have lots of sex and rule the world. That's purpose that God gives us. God is gracious, isn't he? He's good. Genesis 2.19 adds to it. It says, Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a God who creates all things, who has this limitless idea of creativity as he creates it all and puts it all into place then he sits back and he pushes forward the crown jewel of his creation and he sets him up in front and then he parades all of this other creation in front of him and he allows the man to participate in the creative work do you understand that when you find yourself being creative you are participating in a holy action of your god that he's created us with this same sort of a creativity it's absolutely mind-blowing that he would do all of these things and then sit back and allow us to be in participation with him. It just shatters my ideas of who I think God is. The God who commands all these things gives Adam a try and it's all grace. The entire creation story is a demonstration of the ridiculous grace of God. I like how Andy Stanley puts it. He wrote a book as well. You can grab those books in the Connection Center on your way out, if you like. He wrote a book that we're using for this sermon series as well, and it says this, in the beginning there was more beauty than mankind could absorb. In the beginning there was more food than could be consumed. In the beginning there was purpose. In the beginning there was intimacy, free of intrigue and suspicion. In the beginning there was uninterrupted fellowship between God and humanity. In the beginning there was freedom, even freedom to decide. Just as God was under no compulsion to create and provide, so mankind was under no compulsion to receive and reciprocate God's love. Grace in its purest form can have no strings attached. One of the greatest graces that God gives us in the creation story is the grace of our freedom to choose for ourselves. But don't miss the great links in which God has worked to reveal himself to you so that you might choose him. It's interesting, in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, you have these two different creation accounts, and it's kind of from two different perspectives, and they're, and they're not necessarily competing. They, they, they work together. They, they, they form together one big picture of who this God is, and the first thing that we see is that he's transcendent. In Genesis chapter 1, we see a transcendent God, which just means he's really big. He's surpassing. He's beyond comprehension. He's exceeding the usual limits. We see a God who creates but is not part of creation. He rules over it. He's an authority. When he speaks, these flaming balls of sulfur come flying out of his mouth in the form of stars, and they go exactly where they're supposed to go. Everything obeys him down to the letter. Everything he says, everything he does, and he, he rules over this, this creation with a magnificent authority. He is in his his position and he's rightly so and then in Genesis chapter 2 he shows us something different it's the same exact God just a different part of him right and he shows us that as big as he is as surpassing as he is he's also very intimate he's close by and he's intricately involved in Genesis 2 we see the story of 
of God reaching down into the dirt. All these other times, he's just speaking things into existence. But in Genesis 2, we see God get much closer. He takes the clay and he forms it. He makes it as he wants it to be. This isn't some speaking and things just flying out of his mouth. This is tender and it's gentle and he's pulling things together. And as he forms as he forms Adam into exactly how he wants him to be, he then breathes in that same breath that controls the sun and the moon and the stars, that, that has these raging balls of fire flying out of his mouth, right? That same breath that could instantly just cause a mountain to rise up out of the sea, that same breath that could reduce Adam to ashes in a split second, gently, tenderly goes into his nostrils and he takes life. Because this God that we worship is big, he is absolutely transcendent, but he is intimate. He is close by. He knows your name and he cares deeply about who you are. You see, in the creation story, God's expressions of grace are countless. As you look through all the things that he's made, all the examples of grace, it's just example after example after example, but his requirements are minimal. He really actually only has one rule. Isn't that interesting? I find this absolutely fascinating because when we think about God, we see these opposite. Typically, we see his requirements as being countless. And typically, we see his grace as being minimal. We act as if God is up there withholding and hoarding his grace, not looking to pour it out. And yet, the story of creation tells us something completely different. In fact, it's a picture of our future as well. It's part of his plan of how things are going to end one day. That he wants desperately, his plan, his creation, is to one day be able to have us just overwhelmed with grace in a very minimalistic requirement setting. It's his dream for us. That's what he created us for. And it reveals something deeply beautiful about his heart. This is the God that we have an opportunity to respond to. The God who's really big and transcendent, who's really close and knows us intimately, we have an opportunity to respond to the many graces of God. None of them are bigger than Jesus himself. We celebrate it here in a moment at the communion table after the song. We, we celebrate his work of redemption for us on, on our behalf, what he accomplished on the cross. That is the starting point of grace for us in understanding who our God is and what he's done for us. And so maybe today's a chance for you to accept that grace and to come into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today's a day for you to just repent and try to get back on that right path. Maybe it's a time of prayer. I would love to pray with you up here during this song. You can go back to the room, in the, the prayer room over your uh, right shoulders. There's an elder in there who would love to pray with you. Maybe today's the day that you just want to publicly affirm that this is your home and this is your family and you want to be a part of who we are. If there's a decision you want to make, if the grace of God has moved you today, please come on up. Let's have those conversations, and let's get there. For now, why don't you stand? Let's worship this God.
When I know someone there can see the road, the words I hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy so great. You've given us so much. And the culmination of your creation is in Jesus Christ. We look to him as our example. We want to follow it as what he's done. Be able to give grace, to receive your grace, and to know where it comes from. So we live these lives in gratitude. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. We're going to the tables right now, and as we do, let's be reminded of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You're going to be able to take some bread and some juice. These emblems are supposed to signify and symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus that was sacrificed. If you want to know more about it later on, I'd love to talk to you about it. But also, you're able to give your offering if you want to do that, and you come to this place and you call it your own. You can give an offering in the, uh, the boxes that are at each of the stations. We have this other thing that we call generous buckets, and those are just kind of outside of your normal giving. If you want to give something beyond that, you're going to have that white bucket at each of the stations as well. So go ahead and let's go to the tables. Let's remember what Jesus Christ continues to do for us every day.
introduce it to you guys a friend of ours. This is Amanda Shields. I said that correctly. Yes. Fantastic. All right. This is Amanda. She wants to place her membership and be a part of this family this morning. She's loved here. She's been around for a while. She's been our sister in Christ for a long time, but now she's here. And that's really cool. So I'm going to have you take this. I'm going to have you repeat that same confession of faith after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And my personal Lord and Savior. My personal Lord and Savior. Fantastic. I want you guys to welcome her. We're very grateful that you're worshiping with us today. Don't forget, we've got the pool party tonight. We've got everybody's favorite Sunday next week, which is... Apparently, it's not everybody's. There's some confusion. Let me clarify. Next week, we have Chocolate Sunday, which I was told was everybody's favorite. I'm sorry that I, I overstepped. Okay. Some of you will be excited about next week. Do we have bacon to dip in the chocolate? Could it be the crossover we've all dreamed of? It needs to be. Someone make that happen. All right. We've got that. And then as well, we have a little thing that we do called Getting Started 201 back in the Connections Room right after this. Uh, if you've got questions about this church and how you can get more connected or plugged in, Doc or myself will be back there. We'll have those conversations with you. So with that, we'll see you tonight. You got to leave now. <laughs>